Hey, this is Mike Missanelli, and you're listening to the Feed the Embiid, the number one Sixers podcast in America. Yeah, 2-1 on his jersey, playing like he's number one. Best big in the league, and it's no debate. Booze from the haters, point him to the exit. I guess every franchise needs its process. Every franchise needs its own process. Coming down the lane, yeah, watch your head, yeah. We post a every game, yeah, get your Kodak. Once he gets you under the basket, you better just pray. Hit you with the jab step, knock down, lock from Ben. Get out the way, and one, let the fans know it. Yeah, homie, let the fans know it. Watch the trailer, the three is going in your eye. If you mess, you better get back. Cause if the bees, there won't be a putback. Keep all that trash out of the paint. Cause the bees will put it back in your face. He's a cold blooded killer, and he take no prisoners. Yeah, dump off from TJ. Call it the feed to Embiid. What's going on, everybody? This is the feed to Embiid. I am Austin Krell, along with my my co-host, a guy who is back in school for uh, an, an, another year of school. Brock, how are you today? I'm doing well. I was at uh, Zoom University today. I've already Bye. had two classes online, and I have two more that follow this podcast. So I'm on my grind today. Tuesdays and Thursdays are the busy days. Okay. Well, be my be, be um. So we are we are broadcasting live from Streamyard. You can give us a follow on Twitter at the feed to Embiid. Um, on you can subscribe to us on YouTube at the Painted Lines. Um, and you know, also subscribe on Apple Pods, of course, uh, at the feed to Embiid, and uh, you'll be you'll be you'll be on the X to every every episode uh, that we have for you. But um, Brock, we we do have some news uh, as of yesterday. Sixers are now coachless after seven years. Uh, I guess going on eight years that Brett Brown was the head coach and and sort of the leader of this franchise. And now Brett Brown is a free agent. Yesterday, he he was terminated from his position as head coach of the Sixers. I was actually at a wedding, and I had a I had a tweet ready to go in my in my drafts because because I, I I you know that that I uh, that I had some I had some information, um, and I was getting ready to tweet it. I was like, nah, you know what? Let's just keep it quiet. And then literally two seconds later, whoa, boom! I was like, oh, well, I guess I guess the cat's out of the bag now, <laughs> and, I, and I was ready to go. Um, so, Brett Brown is gone. He's no longer the head coach of the Sixers. Let's just start off with, with first. What was like your general, I guess, reaction? I mean, Austin, do you know who I am? You, you know the <laughs> campaign I've been campaigning for for the past year and a half. I couldn't. I I, I couldn't wait for this moment. And uh, of course, Brett Brown was part of some horrendous basketball teams, uh, which was part for the course and what Philadelphia wanted. And he underwent a lot of turmoil in terms of management in the front office. So kudos to Brett Brown for being a great sport throughout this seven year tenure. And he's done some really nice things for the community and he's always been a great personality. So of course, credit where credit's due. Brett Brown, the, the guy, the, the man is a fantastic person as a basketball coach. That's a different story. And the team decided to extend him after those four years in the process and uh, I think he overstayed his welcome here. So while you want to look forward to new the head co- uh, the, the the next head coach and seeing who that is, 
you also want to take a moment and, and take a, a breath of fresh air because this has been a long time coming and it's finally here. There may be a new chapter in Philadelphia. Yeah, and I, I think we have to be, you know, mindful that if you if you if you take a gander at what Brown did with the team, like they go from in 2016-17, they have an, a defensive rating of 108.9 and an offensive of 103.2. The very next season, they they actually have a positive net rating of about four and a half, 109.5 offensive, 105 defensive, basically tops of the league um, in, in those two categories. They go on a 17-game winning streak. And mind you, they had depth and they had, you know, they, they had pieces that fit that season. Last year, you know, they bring in Jimmy Butler. The defensive rating goes down because they can't survive the minutes without Embiid on the court, which is a roster construction issue, which, by the way, I might add was large part because Brett Brown had to be thrust into the GM role because the old GM was too busy on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, and then th- this year, you know, he, he knows his back's up against the wall. Injuries all season long. I'm not making an excuse. A lot of teams have injuries. But I'm saying that it's never been like an easy ride in these three years of everything. And mind you, the first year when everything was supposed to really click, they they thought they had a you know one of the next great combo guards in the NBA, shot creator and Markel Fultz, who then forgets how to shoot. So I mean, everything has been flung at this guy. Things that you couldn't dream of um, have been thr- thrust on the Brett Brown's plate um, in these in his years year in his years here. But you know, time had come. Uh, I, th- I thought I I thought I saw what I needed to see in game two, like and really across all four games of the Boston series, as good as Embiid was in that series, and he was very good on the offensive. They would be they would have lost every game by twenty five plus points if it weren't for Embiid. So the fact that three of the four were were very close games, I I you know it was a large part because of what he did. But there are times that he just didn't give a shit on defense, and and even when they adjusted, he wasn't like actively trying to approach the guard as he steps into another wide open jump shot. So clearly it had seemed to me like it had seemed to me um, as if he had reached his expiration point with Joel Embiid. And once that was gone, then Brett was gone because Brett was the one who really ever that because Joel was the one who really saved Brown's job last season. So, uh, you know, and then after game four in the press conferences, he says, um, you know, that's, I'm not the GM. That's not, not, that decision's not up to me. That right there was all you needed to know, um, that, it, that it was over with. So, you know, I think while Brett Brown, I think, did as good of a job maybe as he could have with all of the chaos that surrounds this franchise at all times, I think that he sort of held them together. Uh, and maybe things could have been better, but I also think things could have been a, a much, much, much worse from both a PR standpoint and from both an on-court standpoint. I mean, he was the voice, the face, and the glue of that franchise for for you know as as you know as as long as you could. Yeah, most definitely. And the thing with Brett is, it's like he could be a great teacher, right? There's players he has developed: the Dario Saric's, the TJ McConnells of the world. There are players that Brett Brown has worked to develop into formidable role players. But at this point, with Philadelphia growing stagnant in in a similar spot for the previous few seasons, you need a new voice. You can't keep trying the same thing over and over again 
and expecting a different result. So while I don't think Brett Brown completely lost the locker room this season, it was most definitely obvious that his time was coming to an end. And a thing I'd like to mention is Josh Richardson back in November or December alluded to a lack of accountability in the Sixers locker room, whether it be coming from players, the coaching staff management, there was this lack of accountability. And in his exit interview after the series, Josh again brought up this lack of accountability. And I think the problem is while these guys are grown men and they're NBA players that should hold themselves accountable, a head coach is way more important than people may have anticipated. And this is an opinion that I, I was not really, I guess, educated, not educated. I, I just didn't know people felt coaches mean as little as they do until the 76ers are now inquiring for a new head coach. But the reason why coaches are so important is because they can manage these egos. They put the right rotations of players on the floor. They're in the player. They're with the players on the day to day in practice, working on things behind closed doors. So a lot of the stuff that we don't see as consumers, we only see the product on the court. A lot of the stuff we don't see is the stuff that leads to the product on the court. And it just seemed like Brett Brown wasn't necessarily executing these things as good as he, he used to. Uh, so I think a new voice with a lot of, of accountability for his players is definitely going to benefit this team. Yeah, and, and I agree. And I think we can't move forward as, you know, people who cover the team, as, you know, as people, you know, we're not the fans, but, you know, the fans of the team. You can't just sit here and say, okay, finally, they got, they got rid of Brett Brown. Um, you know, now we can all move on and, and, and really begin the prosper. No, this is, this is so much deeper than, uh, than Brett Brown. Um, and <laughs> Filling your camera time, man. This is, this is so much, uh, this is so much deeper than, than, than Brett Brown. I mean, um, you know, it starts with like the G it starts with, you know, the, the ownership of this team, the management of, of the team. Um, and, you know, I just think that th there was large, there were largely, you know, no voices, um, you know, here that th there wasn't one dominant voice. It was like, seven or eight different people at the top running this thing. And it, that's not how, that's not how this goes. That's not how it works. I mean, you, that, that the whole purpose of that is that you can't put the blame on any one person. Everyone's to blame or no one's to blame. And you have to have one centralized point of command when it comes, when, when it comes to this job and you shouldn't be listening to a minority owner or, you know, any owner owners should sit, sit back as fans and, and, and watch their product grow and then if things aren't going well um then you know then you uh you know then you make change then you you know you make changes that you have to make but to sit here and and actively position different roster moves as a private equity investor someone who knows nothing about the game of basketball is absurd and unfortunately that went on for way too long and as a result that's the position they're in right now at, because of, of the fact that you let owners get involved. I mean, that there has to, they, they can't just go out and like say this, they'll get fired, but it's very difficult to run a, run a team successfully when you have that many voices with significant say. If you read Keith Pompey's articles, there's no way, there's no way that anyone other than Brett Brown, other than scouts, other than the general management of the team should have had any kind of, 
you know, that, that no one should have been telling who telling them who to draft. There's, I mean, that's the whole reason that Zaire Smith is, is on this team and Mikhail Bridges wasn't. Um, and so I think it all starts from the top to looking, looking at thousands, taking a thousand steps back and, and assessing the accountability of who is in charge and then pinpointing one voice, one decision maker, one brain trust. And they, they haven't had that. And that's why Al Horford's here. That's why, you know, Tobias Harris, who I think has been marginalized ridiculously by fans. I think he's a better player than what people are giving him credit for, but should be making $17 million a year less than what he is. There's, I mean, there's no, there's, there's no way around that. It is, I mean, he's making $37 million a year. That's, well, I mean, what I'll, say, what I'll say with Tobias is that in comparison to the other 11 players making similar, what he's making, he's been among the most productive, but the problem arises when you look at players that are making less than him at the moment. Uh, so Damian Lillard is making $29 million. CJ McCollum is 27. Joel sure. Embiid, 27. D-Book, 27. And the list is abundant. There's a lot of guys making less than Tobias Harris. So for what he was paid, he's productive. And he's more productive than most people getting paid what he's getting paid. But is he worth more than these other guys? Is his $32 million worth more than a $26 million for Drew Holiday or a $27 million for Anthony Davis. And I think that's why a lot of people criticize Tobias Harris as frequently as they do. And honestly, I'm starting to agree. I, I, I don't necessarily think Philadelphia got baited into giving him a max contract, but Austin, you said something about it a few weeks ago and that Philadelphia might have been bidding against themselves. Oh, yeah. And there was limited time on the clock with Indiana and Miami making moves. So – I'm not really sure what led to that max contract, but uh, after all, you do pay a guy for more than just what he produces on the court. So he, he was paid for his impact on the community, uh, what he'll do in the locker room, the mindset he plays with, all of those things. So if Philadelphia continues to lose over the next few seasons, I don't think Tobias Harris' contract will be the reason why. For sure. Wild Wild West says Embiid gets traded. Um, I mean, it's so much. E it's very easy to say, like, okay, um, we got to trade one. Which one do we trade? And have like those theoretical arguments. There's no way you're going to get equal value back for Joel Embiid because no one wants to take on a guy who you can't depend on for 82 games a season. Who his his body essentially very well could be a ticking time bomb. Um, and you know, you're never going to get equal value back for Joel Embiid, so you don't trade Embiid. You don't trade either of them, for that matter. And I'm so so tired of that discussion. You don't trade either of them. Um, and you know, it's Elton Brand said it today. We're not going to trade it. They're not on the trade block. We're going to build around them, not build against them. I mean, Austin, how many players do you think league wide you'd trade Ben Simmons for? It's it's probably less than you can count on both your hands, right? Well, see, to me, it's a lot less. But then when I say what I think, I what I say what I believe is truth, people mm -hmm. are like, like, oh, you're ridiculous. Like you're completely overvaluing Ben Simmons. Like the only thing that keeps him from not being a top three player in the NBA objectively is the fact that he won't look at the basket and shoot a jump shot. Which, I mean, cool, great. Now 
how about every other aspect of the game? If how come how come Steve Blake wasn't a top five player in the NBA? He he shot jump shots. I mean, I mean, what are we doing here? It, it, we've overvalued the fact that this this guy literally does everything else except shoot jump shots. So I mean, I I would probably trade him for two or three guys in the NBA. Bradley Beal, Bradley Beal, Devin Booker, um, maybe not even three. Maybe two, maybe just two. I'm not trading. I'm not trading Embiid or, or Simmons for you know 31 year old Steph Curry. I certainly don't disagree with the decision to choose Simmons over Jimmy Butler. I mean that, that's 30 years old against 23 year old. So, and then you're also going to dramatically speed up your timeline of progression with the team. What happens if Embiid goes down? Can Jimmy Butler lead the entire team by himself? I mean they're not they're not built nearly as well as Miami is on the periphery. So I, so, you know, that wouldn't have worked. I think what you have to do here is number one, get off that Horford contract. And I think it's not easy, but I think it's more possible than people make it out to be. Mm-hmm. And I think he has, I, I, I know he has suitors. I know that for a fact he has suitors. Um, it's going to be about how many draft picks do you have to attach to it? But truth be told, Considering how much they overpaid both Harris and Horford this season, just getting rid of one is a massive, massive, massive strain lift or you know weight lifted off your off your back. I mean, so if you have to get if you would attach you know a first or a Josh Richardson or you know two firsts, I mean, just get off that money. Just get off that money, um, and you know you can even like maybe make it work better with Tobias Harris there and then a bunch of shooters around, you know, Ben Simmons and Joel. But I, you, you have to get off of one of those deals. Now, would I prefer them to get rid of Horford or Tobias? Even at, even as bad as Horford or as, as Tobias's contract is, um, I'd still prefer Horford because at least Tobias is a gamer, number one. He, I mean, he, he's at least not a net negative on defense right now. Um, and he's a much more... I guess capable scorer than either you know the, 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 than Horford is, but um, you know th- they have a lot of personnel moves to make this summer. But I, I you know a lot, a lot of people are, are really down on this team, like and rightfully so. But that isn't to dismiss. That doesn't mean you dismiss the fact that this team can really unlock a lot of their issues and get right back into the mix of things with one correctly facilitated move. Um, you know, this, this off season. Well, well, Wes says, says basketball season start late again, or is it a short and off season? And, and one NBA agent told me that they, that they heard as late as March, maybe April is when it starts next season. That's because they desperately want to get fans back in the seats and they want to, you know, be able to fill the arenas in some capacity. And so that means getting people back to the home markets and get, getting people in the stadium. So they're pushing back as far as long as possible so that way they can get maybe a vaccine, maybe the numbers go down. They can they can fill the stadiums in some capacity because because apparently apparently the TV revenue isn't enough. <laughs> what this um, season? No, like like I'm saying, like it wasn't like the the, t- the billions of dollars in TV revenue wasn't enough um, to uh, wasn't enough to, to satisfy the, the the pockets of the owners and the players. They want to also jeopardize the, you know, they want to also, you know, potentially put fans at risk as well. But, um, so you know, that's that's going to be 
a you know something to keep in mind. I also think that that, that timeline can alter what the decisions are made than what they look like. Like if you, if you like, let's say the NBA says, okay, we're going to start up again in, in, in January you have, because the off season really begins the entire NBA in October. Mm-hmm. You have what? Three months, two months really before the training camp starts. And it means the, the guys that didn't play in the bubble have a full year off too. no basketball action. So that means a consolation bracket may be proposed as well. Yeah. No, it really is the case. Um, so, you know, I, I guess what I want to get into next is let's discuss the fact that like, like, like the issues, obviously, with the Sixers as it pertained to coaching, more than anything, was the lack of, an ac- of accountability. And I think, you know, in the first year, and, in, 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 you know, in the first year of them actually being real, it was okay. They took the entire world by storm. No one saw them coming. And boom, like, you know, they win 17 games in a row. And it's like, okay, this is actually a fun team. These young players are sort of unpredictable in, in a sense. Things are going well. And that kind of like, kind of pushed, you know, pushed the issues under the rug a little bit. Last season, it was like a culture shock because you bring in the sort of volatile guy in Jimmy Butler. He's trying to, you know, he's trying to help facilitate an actual culture of accountability. The players don't respond well to that. Um, and granted, you know, I think Jimmy Butler ultimately has good intentions, but I think his wording of things can sometimes be a little bit off putting. Um, but, you know, they are ultimately pretty successful last season. So the issues are sort of brought to light more, but they're, for you know, for the most part, kicked under the rug. <clears throat> this season, everything came out. Everything came out. Once it was mainly on Joel and, and, and Ben Simmons to really take control of things, that's when everything leaked out. And, you know, what it comes down to is the next coach of this franchise needs to be a, someone who holds people accountable. You, you know, it needs to be no longer this free reign of, hey, you guys can do whatever you want to do. We're going to put these two on a pedestal over here. These, you know, this 23, 26 year old on a pedestal. We're going to put everybody else to the side. But those two are good to go. They can do whatever they want to do. That's that's not how this works anymore. That can't be how this works anymore. This team is never going to progress past a 52 win team and past second round if they continue on that way. And the, I think a guy, you know, everyone wants to say, oh, Ty Lue, that's a LeBron guy. LeBron carried him. That's not how that works. That's not how that works. You have to be not just a good coach, but a, a, a damn good coach to get everyone to buy in, not just LeBron, but have everyone buy in when you're down three to one in the NBA finals against a historically great team. So the fact that, you know, while LeBron did, you know, unbelievable things in that series, you have to have buy in across the board to get people to stay with it and not give up and just not say, okay, this is LeBron show, which is, you know, let's just do what we have to do. Um, but, you know, I, I think Ty Lue would be a good starting point for the job. What's, what's Brock, what's your first reaction to like, you know, the, op- the options out there for head coach? Yeah. So I looked into Ty Lue's tenure with Cleveland because as far as I remember, he didn't really do anything. He, he was just like a stationary coach there. Uh, so I felt like I'd be doing him and myself a disservice by coming on. Rock. Oh, boy. Can you hear me? 
This happens way too often. <laughs> it's because the internet here is garbage, man. Can you, you gotta, hear me? You got you to gotta upgrade your internet. <laughs> We're going to. Can you hear me now? I got you, I got you loud and clear. All right. So it, I, I had to, in order to not do myself and, and Ty Lue a disservice, I had to research his tenure with Cleveland a little bit. Right. And so he steps in after David Blatt and takes Cleveland to their first NBA Finals championship, and it's it's from behind three to one. So all of the all of the the, the resume boosters are there for Ty Lue. He's coached some NBA greats and and been able to, at the very least, like you said, help them buy in. Uh, Kyrie Irving, LeBron James with the Clippers. There's some really good ball players out there. So he knows his way around the game. And what Elton Brand said today is that he wants some more basketball minds in the front office. And for a player that played and coached on teams with players uh, of, of significance, he most definitely fills that build. But here's what I looked at, right? The Cavaliers defensively under Ty Lue switched on almost everything. Like any time a team set a screen, they would switch. Yeah. And it looked horrible oftentimes because Cleveland wasn't working with the most serviceable of, of defenders, right? So you're watching J.R. Smith play defense and switch screens. And you kind of use that as an indictment of the coach, but at the same time, it's J.R. Smith. Like the dude can be drunk off Henny or, or smoking a joint at any time on the court. So you don't you don't listen, really listen, want listen, listen, don't hate the player, hate the game. <laughs> um, but no, J.R. JR Smith is is a legend. But nonetheless, they 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 switch a lot defensively, and and be, because of that, they they also forced middle penetration. Uh, which can lead to things like a faulty rotation and a lot of help defense. So what I saw in watching some of Cleveland's defense was like when they play help, it's it's from one pass away. So it's like you get the ball on the wing, somebody plays help from the corner, the team just literally has to hot potato the ball into the corner and it's a wide open three. Uh, so, so Cleveland was pretty susceptible there. And there was a lot of miscommunication and confusion, confusion because of that constant switching. Um, but but that's something I really, if Ty Lue steps into Philadelphia, I'm going to look out for. Like, like defensively, how is Philadelphia going to respond to screening? Because for the past seven seasons, they've been top five in opponent pick and roll ball handling points surrendered. So this is definitely a point of emphasis defensively. And I'm curious to know how Ty Lue's defense will translate. Now, offensively, Cleveland did a lot of five out. Uh, so two guys in the corner, two in the wing, one up top. And... It's such a strange thing to evaluate Ty Lue because LeBron James played for him. Yeah. And LeBron James is one of the greatest basketball players of all time. So you really question how much of Cleveland's offense was LeBron James and Kyrie isolating and, and running two-man game, or if it was Ty Lue's doing. Uh, so he ran a lot of five out. It was a lot of isolation with the two of them. But if teams double – you can kick it with five out. That's one of the benefits. And those guys stationed to shoot the three ball. So this is a way where if you do run five out and it's Ty Lue at the head coach, you can really take advantage of, of Ben Simmons and, and maximize the gravity he has on the basketball court. And Ben Simmons this year assisted the most three-pointers made. So yeah. running five out is only going to complement Ben's game even further. But my question becomes, what does Ty Lue do with Joel Embiid? If it's five out, Joel Embiid's either going to be half the setting screens, he's going to be used as the low block, and, and, and Philadelphia doesn't go five out. I don't know. But because the two of them are such drastically different 
basketball players yet so impactful. You have to figure out a way how you can utilize both. And I think the best way to do that is to have shooters on the floor. So I like the five-out approach. I like the two-man game approach. But regardless of who the coach is in there, the coach is very important. Regardless of who the coach is in there, you still need to surround your players with players that complement them. So it's also on the organization to get some shooters onto this roster as well. And that's, I would say, equally, if not more important than the head coach. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it's funny. I was at a wedding yesterday. My aunt got married. And um, Congrats thank, you, thank you. Thank you. Aunt Carol. Yeah. Shout out to Aunt Carol. Um, right. And so her, her stepson is, is the wedding and he's kind of like a know-it-all. Like, like he's just like, you know, he's a sort of like this awkward guy, but he's kind of a know-it-all. Um, and so, and by the way, even though I cover the team, you would think that would give me like an, an opinion of dominance in the family. No, I'm still like the little shrimp that no one listens to about any of this, even though I'm the only one with a locker room bat, or with a, a press pass. Um, so, so, <laughs> so, so we're at like, the after party and mind you, I'm like, I've had like seven rape beers at this point. So I'm like, I'm like kind of out of it. I'm watching Portland get absolutely random. That's coming up next. That's coming up next. But um, but but I'm watching like the Blazers getting absolutely crushed, and so the the stepson comes sits down next to me. He's like, I hear you cover the team. I was like, I was like, yeah, I do. And he's like, they suck, and I was like, okay, that's your they opinion. That's <laughs> your opinion. Okay. Um, I personally don't believe that they suck. I think they had some 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 bad things going this year, but I think overall they don't suck as a team. Mm-hmm. And and then he was like, he was like, Ben Simmons is not a top thirty NBA player. <laughs> I was like, I was like top thirty. I was like, I, I was like, okay, let's just end this conversation right here. And he was like, what does he do well on offense? And I'm like, I'm like, the Everything. dude, the dude, the, the dude leads the league in three point in three point assists. What are you talking about? And then we just start this entire thing of like, like if you don't, like if you don't shoot the ball, I can just stand back in the paint and not guard you. I'm like, they have this thing called, a, they have this thing called a dribble handoff. You should learn about them it's when they bring shooters off of screens and actually the shooters get wide open looks. So as a result, you have to come up and guard. Well, then, then they can just cheat. Is that, is that, they, they, is that they how it uh, seven or eight drinks deep? A little more was colorful. A little, 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 little more colorful, a little okay. more like blurry, but it was still the same concept. So like, okay. they can just cheat the screens. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, son, my, my my 34 year old son. It's not. That's not how that works. He, he can't just cheat the screens. I mean, yeah. if you cheat the screens, then just dives to the rim and then boom, it's over. <laughs> like 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 what are we talking about here? But I was like, they were like peppering me, and I was like, well, actually, technically, well, not really. The entire time, and it was great. They were getting so pissed, and it was great. They're like, I can't believe you think Ben Simmons is top 30 in the NBA. I'm like, yeah, you're right. Will Barton, much better player. I'd rather have well, Will Barton on my team. Where are they from? Are they from? Pennsylvania? Or are they out they're of state? Jer- they're from Jersey. What? <laughs> Who do they root for? Apparently the Sixers, but they just don't know what they're talking about very well. It might be the Adelaide 66ers of the Australian League. <laughs> that might be what so, it is. This is really unrelated. I guess not, but it's, it's going to take us off track for a minute. But I gave... My friends, my top 10, we, we like to have these conversations all the time, like candid conversations. So I gave my top 10. And if I'm being honest, I think Ben is is like, I don't want to say back end, back end 10, because he's probably not top 10. 
But I, I don't think it's too much of a far-fetched statement to say he's 11 through 15. I, honestly, I oh, think yeah. Ben would be 11 through 13. Oh, no, I think he's – I think you would have trouble convincing me he's a top 13 player just because there are times when I, like, I see him and I look at, like, the third quarter – He's now getting a rest, and he's played like 23 minutes, and he has eight points with like nine rebounds and like 11 assists. Like that's great, but I also like 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 I need you to be more than Draymond Green. I need I need you to see opportunities to get to the rim, and then actively put on the Jets, and then get to the rim, get that up to 13 points in the you know before the fourth quarter. So you know I I I just no I think Ben is certainly top 20 player. There's not there are I don't care how many jump shots he takes. I don't care how many jump shots the next guy does take. Ben Simmons, top 20 NBA player. There's no questions to be asked about that. Um, but, you know, 11, 11 through 15 is probably where I'd put him. You'd have to debate me to get him within top 13. I think he's probably 14 or 15 on that list. Okay. Um, but Embiid's certainly in my top 10. And, yeah. I mean, you, you have, you have, you mean, I'd take him over Anthony Davis for sure. And people will want to argue about that, but it's like Anthony Davis. Just look at the numbers. Look at the numbers. That's all I'm going to say. I mean, Anthony Davis has had a longer career, and you know he's played a different position. But um, I would say that you know Joel Embiid is certainly top ten player, and I do. Think that Zach Lowe, and Zach Lowe also agreeing is a pretty, pretty big, uh, pretty official stamp of approval of, of that sentiment. Um, but let's get back to well. First of all, let's take a look, let's take a break and talk about uh, a, a, a tool that is dear to my heart. Yes, the, sir. The, <laughs> Brock, do you like shotgunning beer now that you're in college? December twenty eighth for my birthday is when I'll put that thing <laughs> over to use when I'm twenty one. <laughs> so, do you go to parties often? Never. Do you okay? So then you wouldn't know about increasing your your uh, your shotgun time at parties. Well, if that, you did, enlighten me. If you did, I would encourage you to check out my boys at the King Cobra. And if you didn't know, King Cobra is a shotgunning tool that makes the perfect shotgunning hold under a sec under ten seconds. No, under a second. Sorry, under a second. It's also a tab puller, then puncher, and all fits on a keychain. Literally, stick it on a keychain, bring it wherever you want. Just don't bring it on airplanes. It is sharp. You'll get you'll you'll have trouble with TSA. Uh, I would know. Believe me, I would know. Um, <laughs> can check him out on Instagram for all the Cobra products at the King Cobra Co. That's the that's the King Cobra Co. And Cobra is spelled with a K for a ten percent discount on all products. Enter the enter the code Trust the Cobra Ten, all caps, all one word. Pick up yours today. Anyway, back to the back to the to the coaching hunt. So yeah. uh, I want to say I want to say that um, the people are very down on on Elton Brand, and I understand why. But I think it's important to also keep in mind that Elton Brand was basically a puppet for that entire like tenure. He was basically a puppet. They gave him a script. They gave him, well, no, they, they gave him like, a, like, basically, this is an outline of what we're doing. You can make your own script, but this is the, these, these are the decisions that are going to be made. And Elton Brand just goes out there and talks to the press for everybody and acts like he's a GM. When in reality, it's it's not necessarily the case that he's the decision maker. So I, even though people are down on, on Elton Brand and you know him being able to stay, I think I think it's not as bad as it seems. And I and I'd be I'm very interested to see 
what changes he makes, how quickly they come and, and, you know, how, I guess, how I say deviate from like, you know, what, the, what, what the norm would be. Like, does he sort of look outside the box and maybe look at some other coaching candidates and be like a Jerry Stackhouse, which is something that I've, that's a rumor that I, that I've heard that the Sixers might take an eye, take a look at because he sort of follows that Nick nurse mold of somebody who, um, you know, has won a championship in the G league as a head coach, his experience in that aspect. Um, and, you know, is kind of is young at this. Um, now that could also backfire with this group of players, but it's, it's something that I've heard. Um, also a former player, which, which helps, but depends on how you look. Um, well, it depends on how you look at that situation. Um, now, you know, I, I, but I do think that from what he said today, everyone's like, well, you know, this isn't very encouraging for them to get rid of, of, of uh, you know, at Horford. He's not going to, he's not going to show his hand. He learned that last summer when he had to literally like pry Matisse Thibel away from the Celtics with an mm-hmm. extra pick. And Matisse Thibel was not worth the pick that they traded away for him alone, let alone the extra incentive to trade him. So, I mean, so, I mean, you know, he's not going to show you his hand, but you, you, he played in the league for how many years? Over 10 years. He was a star in the NBA. There's no way he looked at this roster and says, oh, yeah, no, this can work. This, this can fit. There's no way. Yeah, Austin, I'm glad you also said that you think Elton's a puppet. Um, the reason why I haven't like publicly said that is because I don't know what goes on behind closed doors. Like The front office decisions are dictated by people that I don't even know. So it's easy to scapegoat a Brett Brown or an Elton Brand, but there's a lot more that go behind these decisions. Let's not forget, Elton Brand, before you just said, was an all-star. He was a phenomenal basketball player before his injury. So he's well-respected in the basketball world. As a general manager, Woj tweeted that there is some respect and and people do like Elton Brand league-wide. So there's that. He's young, so he's still in touch with the game, which is also very important. And he has a very limited body of work. We only have a season and a half, really, to look at Elton Brand's job as a general manager. And I think he's done a pretty damn good job. Like, he's been more aggressive than you could ask. So he makes the blockbuster trade for Jimmy Butler – and he doesn't let Jimmy Butler walk for nothing. So, Austin, I know you criticized that Sixers trade when they did the sign-in trade and got rich and they could have potentially got more value. But nonetheless, he gets the trade for Jimmy Butler and he doesn't let Butler walk for nothing. Now, he opens his pockets up and he signs two, what the fans and, and the organization is, as well anticipated will be two very productive players that can fit into this bully ball system. But – it's not only Elton Brand's fault that, that this wasn't a great fit because Philadelphia came out and said they're going to run bully ball, and this was what they're going to do. It was the philosophy and the, and the game plan they were going to prioritize. And by the third month of the season, Philadelphia was bottom eight in the league in free throw attempt rate, so they weren't getting to the line. <laughs> they, had the they had the league worst opponent free throw attempt oh. rate. Means they sent opponents to the line more than any other team. They physically, they actually physically bullied people. Like not in like the sense of like we're going to smother you and make your life hell, but we're actually going to hit you as hard as we can. Yeah. So I mean, you come out, you 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 advertise as a team that's going to run bully ball. Elton Brand makes all of the right moves. He he signs Tobias Harris for the max contracts with Philadelphia. He has their third superstar now. Uh, You get Al Horford to compete and keep up with teams in the East that just sign players. 
And three months into the season, you don't execute exactly what you signed the players for. So I think there's a lot of finger pointing. The fit is clunky. The roster construction, it's inexplicable. But at the same time, Elton Brand has been aggressive and he has a very limited body of work. So before I point my finger at Elton Brand and ask for him to be fired, I think he still should have a chance as as president of basketball operations and, and oversee these operations. Because like I said, he's young, he's still in touch with the game, and he's well-respected. So I still think that he can salvage his job. Whereas Brett Brown, for the past seven years, has just been here far too long. So Elton Brand has an opportunity to get creative and and fill the roster with maybe low-maintenance guys that can contribute or guys that aren't worth a lot of money that can contribute, or even just getting rid of some of the contracts on the roster now. He has a year or two to show that he's a good GM. And if it doesn't work, then guess what? You still have Embiid under contract. You still have Ben under contract. You have a new head coach, maybe another one after, if this head coach doesn't work out. And then you can fire Elton Brand. But (laughs) give him another year or two. Like, I think Elton Brand gets one season to prove himself. I think. Do you think he proves himself? Brock, your internet is a joke. Your internet is so bad, man. <laughs> oh man, Brock, it's it, you know, it's the reason that we're struggling to answer these questions and sort of put together thoughts on this is because is is kind of what they wanted to happen. They wanted they 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 wanted. Um, you know, there to be this confusion because then you can't pinpoint it on one person. But now the case is that, you know, with, 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 with one central voice there, the, the case is now that there he is, he's back. (laughs) The case, the case now is, is, is that it's all on Elton, it's all Elton brand, but, I mean, Brock, look at one of the, look, look at some of the, the decisions they made in the past during the draft time mm-hmm. when they sell off picks or they they take these Euro stash guys who obviously are never going to play in the NBA and play, be meaningful contributing players. One of the biggest things that they have to do this summer and going forward in order to fix this situation is actually value second round picks and late first round picks and not just like oh, we're going to go after a Euro stash guy or we're going to go and we're going to, you know, we're, we're, we're just going to, um, you know, sell this pick for, for cash. This is a time where you have no depth. You have no depth. You need talent coming off your bench because Lord knows they don't have really much of anything of their own talent off the bench. You need to start valuing cheap young players. And if you look at team, and I've said this a thousand times, I'll say it again because I, I believe it's that important. If you look at guys like you know teams like like the Torontos, teams like Miami, um, you know the the Nuggets, so many of these teams, they actually value cheap back end talent. The, the Raptors are starting Fred Van Vliet, who's averaging over 18 points per game this season. And, you know, th- they're starting him. He was undrafted, undrafted free agent. 
So I said so they have to start valuing the, the Landry Shamets of the world that they have. You have to start valuing the Shake Milton's. You have to not you have to try to not take the Anjej Pashishniks of the world and maybe you take the Josh Hart's <laughs> or or or, or, the, or the Pascal Siakams. The they have to do a better job of valuing those back end assets because what happened with the reason they're in this predicament where they have to sign, um, where they have to sign, you know, Al Horford, Tobias Harris, why they have to overpay Mike Scott, why they have to, um, you know, trade for Jimmy Butler. And well, that was sort of the Markel Fultz situation there, but, but you have no balance on your roster. And as a result, you have no bench. You also have an insanely expensive starting five that doesn't fit. The more you can value back-end talent and late in the draft, which is what they haven't done, the more balanced you become. Then suddenly you don't need to, to feel the pressure to, 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 to spend massive amounts of dollars on two guys and then be in this predicament. But two things that they absolutely – three things that they absolutely have to do this offseason. Number one is focus on accountability. Because if you let these, if you let Ben Simmons and Joel run with their with, with like a chicken without their head with the, with the head cut off and just take over things, this team's not going anywhere. They're that's not going anywhere. Too. That that's that's the entire organization should be held accountable too. Everyone in the front oh, office is really for sure. And I thought the most damning thing of all was this season they're on. Um, you know, you know, this season they're. They're with, you know, they're in, they're on the road for the Super Bowl, and they get their asses kicked, like I mean, royally kicked by the Pacers. Um, and then the next day, they're pictured at a Super Bowl in a box with the owners. It's it's Ben, Joe, I think Josh Harris, maybe someone else. Tobias was there too, no? Sure, maybe Tobias. The very next night, they go to Miami and they lose by like thirty plus. So, the 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 culture there, the culture there is that, hey, you know, you don't have to listen to Brett Brown. You don't have to listen to the coach. You're you got you guys are way up here. You guys are the ones that matter. For, forget everything he says. That, that 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 that's fugazi. That's where you set a terrible, terrible, terrible culture. With the messaging that you, that you give, and that's where Brett Brown effectively lost the control of his of of his locker room because they think, oh, we're not getting punished. We're we're not going to get punished regardless of what we of if you listen to Brett Brown or not. It comes from way up above the ownership level, and it comes down to you know the general management and the coaching staff. And yesterday, Brett Brown, while I think it was time to go, he essentially took a bullet for years and years of mistakes made, you know, whether it be subliminal or in terms of like the messages that you send to like franchise altering decisions. Like let's trade, like, like let's let, let's watch Markel Fultz have the worst workout of all time and then go trade two picks to, to acquire his draft rights. And then like, like that, 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 that was, you know, that, that's a Colangelo thing, but the fact that like the ownership allowed the Colangelo, you know, retreads of Ned Cohen and Alex Rucker stay on board after Colangelo was gone was basically like, okay, we need a new face, but the brains can stay. 
and that was a very situation that, um, you know, that was the very situation that got them to where they are now. Because you have guys like Ned Cohen and Alex Rucker who are not Brett Brown people necessarily. You have like this clashing of, 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 of the mindsets. And that's how you – and if you don't – not everyone's on the same page. Ultimately, it's bad for the culture of the franchise. And it's going to – it's ultimately going to end up with where you where – you're misdiagnosing the issues of this team. And so guy, and so then you bring in a guy like Al Horford. Brock, I was, th- I was talking to Jason Blevins about this the other night because she was just sort of mm-hmm. laughing it off. You could literally draw out a Venn diagram and, and have like one bubble be like Joel Embiid, other one be Ben Simmons. And if you like mapped out like what they need from their teammates to succeed as a team, <laughs> the only thing that would be in the middle would be shooting. But yet you go ahead and you sign out Horford. <laughs> like, like what, what are we doing here? How many times have you – that phrase, what are we doing here, in response to something you said about a decision the coach or the management has made, how many times do you think you've said that in this podcast? Not this episode, but since we've started recording. Enough, like, to, retitle, enough to retitle this the what are we doing podcast. Exactly. Like that's been a once an episode question. It's 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 remar- it's just remarkable, and so you know Elton Brand makes a point today where he says you know we have analytical minds in the front office, it's time to get some basketball minds in there as well. To me, that means that someone was dictating, you know, basically saying like, okay, Brett, we don't care if opponents take mid range jump shots and leave them wide open because we're trying to prevent threes and 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 plays at the rim, which is a philosophy they've embodied for years. That's literally how they've that that philosophy has probably been a culprit for at least eight of the losses that should have been wins over the court each of the last like three seasons. You have to they they need somebody who is gonna like you know like analytics are great, but you have to have a balance, and they have no balance of that, as evidenced by the fact that their game plan is to allow guys like Kemba Walker and Jason Tatum to basically walk into mid-range jump shots with no one in their airspace. Yeah. And so what he said today kind of signaled to me, like, okay, we're going we're gonna to bring in a coach who makes adjustments on the fly. So that way when a guy has an 18-point first quarter, <laughs> we don't let him get 30 by halftime. The TJ Warren doesn't come in and, and, and doesn't have 54. That, that, that's, that, that was sort of the impression I got today. But I also liked how Elton said, like, like, we acknowledge a collaborative structure in the past was, was bullshit that that didn't work. Our next step is to, I'm going to be the centralized point of command. I make the decisions going forward and, you know, I'm the main, I'm the main voice here. And what that does is like, whether the, you know, that doesn't mean he's going to make great decisions. That doesn't mean that at all. What it does mean is that the decisions made are going to come back to him and only him. So if it fails, we have one person to look at. Not that we have eight, you know, like 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 they need to get rid of Ned Cohen and Alex Rucker. That yeah, needs to happen. Of course. Who who knows what hand the two of them may have had in draft picks or trading? You know what I mean? Like there's people in the organization that could have been culprits for these things, and you would have no idea because somebody 
get scapegoated. It's usually the coach or whoever's at the forefront of the, the organization in terms of management. Um, but w- what I also like that you said, Austin, a couple of things is really emphasizing homegrown talent. That's something that really successful teams have been doing in the previous couple of years. So maybe you don't have to open your wallets uh, if you can draft a backup center or if you can draft a durable guy to play 15 minutes and knock down six shots a game. So if you start to emphasize some of the back-end first-round or second-round talent as opposed to just getting rid of them, I think the organization is going to take on a different image or a different culture or a different personality. Uh, it's funny because the first four years of this process, it was all stockpiling draft picks. We're going to use them as assets. We're not going to put anybody on the floor, and we're just going to keep stockpiling picks. And then for the back-end of the previous three years, or I should say back-end of Brett Brown's tenure, it's been getting rid of the assets or, or, or maybe disregarding them, wasting them, getting guys in the Euro League that are going to stay there. Um, so emphasizing homegrown talent is definitely important. Another thing, Austin, is like with this team and, and, and the direction of the team, you talk about Al Horford shooting. I think I said there, – there, There is – I'm sorry to interrupt, but I thought this yeah, was important. There is no doubt in my mind that they want to get Al Horford out of here because he has family who are very, very active on social media. Yep. And I can't imagine that they that 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 the the um, the, the, the management of the team appreciates every time they voice their concerns. Like, mm-hmm. like, like, like. I'm sure they were pissed that Anna said like on on, on Sunday that Al plays better without Joel. Without them. I'm sure that 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 of course that, that 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 hit them. So there's no doubt in my mind they're going to try to move out of this just to get the just to get the family situation out because they the one thing that they can't stand is you know is criticism essentially and loud you know people speaking their minds on the team and those people having you know significant influences on the public like like someone like a sister would have. And I can tell you when when Josh Harris and, and and David Blitzer when they go to their country clubs and they go out back and they're smoking cigars with their billionaire buddies and they get to brag about how they own an NBA franchise, people don't think they're that impressive right now. <laughs> people don't. People no. are like like you are. I can guarantee. A laughing stock almost. I can guarantee you. And I assure yeah. you, around NBA ownership circles. When they, you know, when when they go to have the, you know, the cigars in the back deck after playing a round of golf in Florida with other NBA owners, and the owners are like, is like, like, yo, like, you know, like my guys are doing this, like, you know, like, like I'm, like I'm, I'm proud of them. We're doing great. We've got this coming up. And then Josh is like, oh wait, hold on, I got to write this thirty-seven million dollar check to the Tobias Harris. Give me a minute here while I burn this cigar. Like, there's no way they're not embarrassed by this. I'm sure they are, and this team greatly underachieved this season. For what was on paper, I think this team should have done a lot better. I think Brett Brown held the team back, and I also think it's a combination of a really poor roster construction and the product in the court wasn't always there because sometimes lack of accountability, guys didn't show up, guys were hurt. These are things that derail other teams, but the difference between Philadelphia and other teams is that other teams respond. Other teams find guys to step up. Philadelphia, it seems like they didn't. And that indicates to me that not only is there a problem coaching, but within the organization too, because the organization doesn't hold Brett Brown accountable and he's not going to hold his players accountable. So it's this constant cycle 
of Austin, you said it earlier, just doing whatever the hell you want. And I think it's important to kind of have the structure in place. So what I'll say is with a new head coach, what I'm really looking for is just a system. Because if you have a system and you can have players that buy into this system and you can execute the system, players know their roles. They know when they're coming off of the bench. They have things to play for. It becomes more cohesive. There's probably a better chemistry on the floor. The guys play well together. Whereas if you just have an offense where it's any man touches the ball, he can do whatever he wants. Or the first pass to a shooter with a green light, shoot the ball. Or shoot as early as you can get it down the shot clock. There's this lack of cohesion. So if you look at the numbers in Brett Brown's tenure, what have the Sixers done exceptionally well? Turn the ball over. And that's another thing that indicates to me there's no system. For seven years, the the team has been bottom five for six of the seven years in turnovers. And only a year or two, they've limited it. Like defensively, Philadelphia struggled really for all of seven of Brett Brown's seasons. Even offensively, Brett Brown never coached a team that had a top 10 offensive rating. And when they did, Monty Williams – and Lloyd Pierce were on the team. The two of them depart, and both of them produce temporarily a higher offensive rating than the Sixers. So it's a lot more going into the product in the court than just the GM and just the head coach. So I hope there really is a complete renovation in the front office, and I hope guys do get booted out of there. And now I do remember the point I wanted to tie it all back to, which was the analytics and the eye test. So analytics are great. I love analytics, offensive rating, PIPM. All of that crap. It's great. But at the same time, all of these things are used in in, in today's game to kind of see what's going on the court and see how you can improve it. But the game of basketball is not dependent on analytics. Analytics are dependent on the game of basketball. So while you can use analytics to position guys in the right spots and produce the right combination of players, sometimes in-game analytics aren't going to help you. I mean, sometimes they might even be the thing that are causing problems on the floor. So to have a coach or guys in the front office or a GM that has this balance between walking to the court, watching and just looking at a computer and and the data science to have a balance, it's monumental. And I think that's really the difference between Philadelphia and other teams. They, They have this balance, whereas Philadelphia had a severe lack of this balance. And because of that, you could see some of the problems translate on the court. For sure. Dominique Brown says, let's see Al Horford with a new coach before burying him. Him not playing well with Joel is not really factual. 76ers don't have any offense besides uh, pick and roll or Embiid post up. Um, <laughs> Brock. <laughs> Listen, here's what I'll say. <laughs> I agree with the back end, the, the, the final sentence. I agree with that. I think Al Hor- like Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid deserve another chance under a, a new head coach. Oh, for sure. Al, Al Horford's going to be 34 years old. Yeah, exactly. Al Horford isn't somebody that, that, that I would necessarily prioritize. So if you have an opportunity to get rid of him for any package that can bring back any sort of production, I'd do it. And – I, I, I saw Elmbrand's statement about Al Horford being potentially like uh, a championship DNA type player. 
and and the team could use him. He just has to see how the coach will utilize him. But uh, with Al Horford, I'm not sure he gets another go around. If you could get rid of him, you get rid of him. Yeah, and I think one of the bigger concerns is like, okay, this year you might be able to say, like, okay, it was a bad fit, bad coach, whatever. And teams might be able to might be able you might be able to sucker a team into that. What if it happens next year under a new coach again? Another mm-hmm. year, another year older. Coaching obviously wasn't the issue. Maybe he's just not a good player anymore. And then he becomes incredibly un- untradeable. I think you absolutely have to trade him this offseason. And, you know, I, I, I don't think I, – I just don't think that there's any choice or else then they're going to be in a disastrous situation. I mean, this is a disaster right now. It's going to be a bigger disaster next offseason if they can't get rid of – Yeah, um, you can't get rid of him at the deadline either because his, his value will probably be depreciating. For sure. So wait a whole other year. Well, Brock, I got to head home from the shore. So any parting shots? Uh, no, but I'm going to start a GoFundMe for a new router. So if you'd like to donate, just contact <laughs> me. And put it <laughs> I'm sorry Brock. about that. It won't happen again. I'll, I'll get that. Support, support Brock. He yeah. is Landis Brock on Twitter. Brock Landis in the real world. I am Krell TPL. Austin Krell, Krell TPL on Twitter. Austin Krell in the real world. As always, thank you for tuning in, everybody. Make sure to give us a follow. Subscribe to the feed to Embiid on Apple Pods. Leave a five-star rating and a review. As always, thank you for listening, and have a good day. The feed to Embiid and its name are protected by U.S. copyright laws. Reproduction and distribution without my written permission is prohibited. Copyright the feed to Embiid 2020.